people is that he loves them. The only thing going for God's people is that he loves them. That's the message I want to bring to you today uh, through God's word. And I reckon it's a really good and healthy message for us to know as we kind of kick off another year um, living in this world, um, awaiting uh, the Lord's return or when he might take us home. The only thing going for God's people is that he loves them. Um, How about I pray and then we'll get into the word today. Heavenly Father, we praise you and thank you for your goodness to us. We praise you, Father, for bringing us to this day by your grace and in your mercy. Lord, we pray that today as we we look at your word, we pray that through your word and by your spirit, we pray, Father, that we would see Jesus. Father, we pray that by your word and through your spirit today, we would hear Jesus. And Father, by your spirit and through your word today, we pray that we would love Jesus, uh, serve him with all that we have in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, I'd love it if you have your Bibles open sort of to the end of uh, Deuteronomy chapter thir- uh, 31 would be a great place to start and we're going to make our way through those final chapters of Deuteronomy and then dive into the New Testament and then think about some uh, applications for us as we live in this part of God's world. Um, Montez said I've got about 30 to 35 minutes, so I think that's pretty much where we're at. Um, so I'm, I'm going to put my watch here so I can kind of keep an eye on things. Um, I rarely refer to my watch though, that's the trouble. Um, <laughs> Once I was asked to preach years ago when I was a, really was a young punk, um, still I'm a bit young, but maybe less punk, I don't know, but um, I was preaching up at a church in the sort of the hills and um, I was preaching and preaching and preaching and I realised that everyone in front of me was looking particularly sleepy and I sort of realised, far I must have been going for a while and then I sort of said to someone, oh, does anyone have like, there was no clock anywhere, like I couldn't sort of work out how long I'd been going for and uh, so I sort of stopped and I said, oh, does anyone have the time? Like, can tell me and someone said, son, you don't need a watch, you need a calendar. That's what he <laughs> said to me. And uh, it took me years to get over that moment. So this is my first sermon back since that moment. No, um, it's not. Um, let's get into the word. Less about me, more about Jesus, hey? Um, one, of the, one of the things I love about the Bible, one of the things I love in particular about the Old Testament is just how kind of raw and authentic and real it is about portraying you know, all the people involved, but particularly the really kind of the big names of the Bible. Um, It's really down on its heroes, if you know the scriptures. The Old Testament is really down on its stars, its heroes. Um, It's down on on Israel, the nation of God's people. It's down on Moses and on Abraham. It's down on King David and Solomon. It just tells it like it is. The Old Testament, right, is like a critical autobiography, Has anyone ever read a critical autobiography, like where someone's written about themselves, published a book about their life, and been kind of really kind of raw and honest? The the most recent one I've read was um, Jimmy Barnes, like his recent sort of autobiography, where he just sort of tells it like it is. He's pretty much out there. But it's not common to come across a critical autobiography. Often you'll come across um, critical biographies, where someone's kind of written about someone and sort of sort of painted them as they really are, but not so much do you come across someone who's critical about themselves in public for all to see. But when you do see it, it kind of stands out. You really sit up and notice. And actually, several years ago, I came across an example of this, and it was to do with this man. He's going to come up on the screen. This man, who recognises this guy? It's, yeah, it's Tim, Tim Winton. That's Don. Yeah, good work. Uh, Tim Winton. And uh, he, he was interviewed on ABC TV by Jennifer Burns about his life and his work and things like that. 
Um, Tim Winton, if you've read him, if you know him, he's, he comes across, he's really raw, he's authentic, he just sort of tells it like it is, you kind of get into his heart. But there was this point in the interview that Jennifer had with Tim where she sort of asked him how had the fame and the fortune that came for, has come from being a successful author kind of changed him or affected him. And he said this, actually, it really scares me how my elevation has almost dulled me to the experience of the ordinary person. You know, and that moment when he said that, Jennifer was kind of quite taken aback because she's used to all the celebrities that she would interview sort of saying, oh, yes, 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 I know that I'm famous and rich, but, you know, I'm just like, you know, the ordinary person. I'm just like Simon Jackson who lives in, you know, Prospect, you know, ordinary. But he, he didn't say that. He said, actually, I'm, I'm a bit concerned. And... He then went on to say this, I'm not sort of comfortable with it, it actually frightens me. He's frightened about how fame and fortune is changing him. There's this authenticity about Tim Winton that I kind of love and you kind of go, yeah, like you just seem like a really normal person. Fame and fortune, he doesn't like the fact that it's going to his head. And it's kind of like, it's, well, that's what you see in the, in the Old Testament, I reckon. You, you see the real people, real people. And the Old Testament, we can flick to the next slide, actually, if you want. We don't have to look at Tim all day, although he's not a bad-looking fella, you know. But um, there's this authenticity in the Old Testament that you just don't get in other accounts of the life of the big nations or of the world. So there are nations, when, you know, when God's doing his work through Israel, there are other nations around Israel. There's the Babylonians, there's the Assyrians, there's the Egyptians. And when you read accounts of the Babylonians and the Egyptians and the Syrians and the Mesopotamians, all those countries and nations around Israel, rarely do you ever kind of come across stuff about the flaws of the leaders. You never get it. You know, occasionally you read Roman history and you'll see, oh, this guy did this, but really it's just all about the advancement of that nation's rule and power and amazingness, but not with the Old Testament. The Old Testament is constantly on about just how kind of sinful and flawed often are the big names of the leaders of the people. Moses, Aaron, David, Solomon, all of them. Now, you know, Israel, they're a chosen people, special people chosen by God, uh, the first promise to Abraham back in Genesis chapter 12 is that, you know, through you and your offspring, you will become a blessing to the world. And, and that was the first promise that Abraham was given, that God made to Abraham. But from that moment on, you know, you'll be a blessing to the world. From that moment on, there's just this kind of movement in the Old Testament story about, well, really saying that the only thing going for Israel is that God loves them. God's bound himself to this people. Everyone else fails, and yet God has bound himself to them. I think it's basically a summary of the Old Testament. The only thing going for Israel is that God loves them. That's like a summary of the whole of the Old Testament. The only thing going for God's people is that he loves them. Constantly there's this description of failure and messing up, even of the heroes. A kind of Tim Winton-esque authenticity. So today, we're going to think about this together. The only thing going for God's people is that he loves him. In your handout, um, it does tell you that Montaz Ali is preaching today. Do I look like Montaz? No. Um, but if you uh, probably don't at all. But if you flick over, there's some, a spot where you can take some notes if you're into that. Um, the simple kind of breakdown of my sermon today is this. Everyone fails. Woohoo! But one prevails. Woohoo! Can you say that with me? Everyone fails. Woohoo! But one prevails. Woohoo! That's it. So two big points. 
there's four little things at the end, okay? So if you're a note taker, divide your page up in that way. There, there you go. Come with me, Deuteronomy chapter 31. We're going to go to the end of Deuteronomy, um, and you'll find in the end of Deuteronomy chapter 31, uh, which I hope you have in front of you open, it's, it's written to underline this very point that everyone kind of fails. Everyone is sinful. Everyone mucks it up. The sinfulness of everyone, how everyone kind of dashes our hopes. You know, not Israel. Israel fails. Moses fails. Aaron fails. Joshua fails. No one can fulfill God's wishes. So come with me to Deuteronomy chapter 31 and verse 16, and you have this climactic moment about the sinfulness of Israel, of everyone. It's coming up on the screen. Jump to the next one. Here we go. Oh, actually, before we get to this, pretend this isn't here, right? Just, it's not there. Um, just to get you to Deuteronomy, right? So you've got um, Deuteronomy. It's the fifth book of the Bible, uh, and it's, we start the Bible in the book of Genesis, right? And if you know your Bible a little bit, Genesis starts with um, there was nothing, and from nothing, God creates everything with a word. And it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's very good. And then something very bad happens. Uh, humanity rejects God. We turn our back on his beautiful, perfect rule of our lives, and that's sin, right? Sin is just to reject God's rule and sort of put the crown on our own head. And yet, chapter 3 of Genesis, so you heard chapter 1 and 2, creation. Chapter 3 is where we find there's a thing called the fall, where man turns its back on God, and we have the fall. And the outcome of the fall is a curse, Uh, So God curses man, God curses woman, God curses the world. Everything becomes challenging and difficult and frustrated. And yet, in the midst of the chaos of the fall, chapter 3, God makes this remarkable promise. So it's perfect, beautiful, very good, and then it's very bad. But in the midst of the badness, God says, chapter 3, verse 15, that one born of a woman will come into the world to crush sin and evil forever. It's remarkable. Like, it's Christmas in chapter 3, verse 15. You know, so one born of a woman will come into the world and will stamp his foot on the head of the serpent. Anyone seen The Passion of the Christ, the film? Um, Mel Gibson's account. Yeah, there's a moment in that film, I, I thought it was a terrifyingly harrowing film to watch, but there's one glorious moment in the film, and it's, you, you'd kind of, if you blinked, you'd miss it, where Jesus... The serpent slides in, and Jesus, with his heel, just crushes it. Again, like Genesis 3.15, God makes, it's called, if you want to get all greeky and geeky, the pseudo-gospel. Oh, no, the, um, yeah, the, the, the first, the proto, the proto-gospel, the first gospel, Genesis 3.15. And so, pretty much, the way I read the Bible is that, in, that from that moment, Genesis 3.15, one born of a woman to crush the head of the serpent, we're looking for that person all the way through the Scriptures. So as you read For the Love of God by Don Carson, and he's taking you through the Scriptures, look for this, look for this one who'll come and deal with sin and evil and crush it once and for all. It's a promise in the midst of the chaos. Chapter, three, uh, chapter 12 of Genesis is what we hear, we, Abraham. Um, I love that moment. So Abraham, not looking at anyone in particular, he's about 100 years old. He's a really old guy. And... Um, He's standing there and he's got Sarah, his wife, and she's about 100 as well. And uh, God takes him out and says, look at the stars in the sky. And he said, you know, he's made this promise, through you, the whole world will be blessed. A a seed from you, a a person from your family will bless the whole world. And he's saying that he's 100, she's almost 100, she can't have children. And the Lord says to them, through you, you'll have babies. And look at the stars in the sky, your family will be more than the stars in the sky. 
you imagine? 100, 100, barren. I'm going to make it like, through you. I, I, I can be standing there going, are you for real? You've got to be joking. But that's where the promise comes. Through you and the seed from your line, there will be, there'll be blessing to the whole world. So there's another promise. Anyway, let's race through. Exodus, by the end of Genesis, a lot happens in the rest of Genesis, by the way. Um, there's a lot more chapters there. But you come to Exodus, and God's people are now numerous in number, but they're far from the promised land. Yet God rescues them from slavery in Egypt through the blood of a lamb. So you paint the lamb on the lintel of your doorframe, and the wrath of God, the, the angel of, the, of death, flies over the houses where the blood of the lamb is painted. You take shelter under the blood of the lamb, and you have spared God's judgment. And through that process, God then rescues, exits his people from Egypt and slavery and oppression onwards to the promised land. One of my lecturers at Moore College years ago said, Exodus is the gospel of the Old Testament. A people in slavery, oppressed, far from home, through the blood of the Lamb, God rescues them and now takes them on the trajectory to the perfect creation, the new creation. Um, at Mount Sinai, God gives his new people the law, graciously. Leviticus, it's law, law, law. It's beautiful, but it's, you know, sometimes it's hard to read. Numbers, a bit more law, scouting out the promised land. We then get to the end of Deuteron- uh, beginning of Deuteronomy, and that first generation of God's people through disobedience have, have died out. There's a new generation poised to take the promised land. And at that moment, it's Moses who through three really long sermons, you think my sermon the other day when I was told I needed a calendar was long, his three sermons that formed Deuteronomy, and Moses is really saying, this is your story, choose life, follow and trust God, and you'll be blessed and on the way to the promised land, to this new generation. We come to the end now of Deuteronomy, and you know, I've said everyone fails, and this verse here kind of underlines that point, Deuteronomy 31 verse 16. The Lord said to Moses, you are going to rest with your ancestors and these people will soon prostitute themselves, turn away to foreign gods of the land they are entering. They will forsake me and break the covenant I made with them. We're kind of used to this theme, right? Israel, God's people disobeying God. And we get to the end of this glorious moment and we see again, these people are just going to turn away. But surely, right, Moses, the great lawgiver, the leader of God's people, even right at the end, he he can achieve God's purposes. But then we turn to Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 48 to 52. It's on the screen. On that same day, the Lord told Moses, go up into Abram Ridge range of the Mount Nebo in Moab, across from Jericho, and view Canaan, the land I'm giving the Israelites, Israelites as their own possession. There on the mountain that you have climbed, you will die and be gathered to your people, just as your brother Aaron died on Mount Hor and was gathered to his people. This is because both of you broke faith with me in the presence of the Israelites at the waters of Meribah Kadesh in the desert of Zin, and because you did not uphold my holiness among the Israelites. Therefore, you will see the land only from a distance, and you will not enter the land I'm giving to the people of Israel. This is God's great leader Moses, and, and even he's going to miss out on the promised land. Stuff isn't just made up, right? This is real. If you're making up this story, right, there's no way that you'd have the, the great man Moses miss out on kind of getting into the promised land. Like it just, it just you know, but it, it just underlines that even Moses failed through his disobedience. So, we have, you know, okay, not Israel, not Moses, but surely Moses' successor, right? Joshua, son of Nun, surely he'll be the one to fulfill the purposes of God. 
looks promising, actually, as you come to the final kind of moments of Deuteronomy. Chapter 34, the, the reading that Pam brought us, chapter 34, coming up. The Israelites, Moses has now died. The Israelites grieved for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days until the time of weeping and mourning was over. And now Joshua, son of Nun, filled with the Holy Spirit, of, a spirit of wisdom, because Moses had laid his hands on him. So the Israelites listened to him and did what the Lord had commanded Moses. It looks promising. It might be that, that Joshua, son of Nun, is the prophet who will be like Moses. Earlier on in Deuteronomy, um, we're told that a prophet will be raised up like Moses, you know, to lead God's people and, and hopefully achieve the purposes of God through this guy. And at this point, Moses has died, Joshua's raised up. It looks like maybe he is the one. Spirit of God is on him. He's got wisdom. He might be the one that we're looking for. But I, I think these last chapters of Deuteronomy are kind of just messing with our heads a little bit, setting us up. You know, maybe, maybe he is the one who'll be like Moses, but it's not. Have a look at verse 10. Since then, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. We're expecting, right, that, you know, the prophet like Moses will be Joshua, but, well, we're told explicitly there, isn't it, the negative, no prophet has been raised up like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. Great. So, you know, you get to this point, in, you know, Israel, the nation, they've failed. Moses, the great rescuer from Egypt, rescued from Egypt, led God's people, he's failed. Aaron, rescued from Egypt, he doesn't fulfill God's purposes. Joshua, the successor of Moses, well, to be the prophet like Moses, he doesn't do it. By the end of Deuteronomy, we're kind of still looking for the one who'll fulfill the purposes and promises of God, who'll deal with sin. These, these chapters in the last chapters of Deuteronomy, like a deliberate signpost pointing us forward the book of Deuteronomy ends by saying the answer, friends, brothers and sisters, is somewhere else. It's someone else. The whole book of, the Old the whole book of Deuteronomy, the whole Old Testament, is like a setup saying we're pointing somewhere else. Uh, a signpost to a new covenant, a new law, a new prophet. And that's what we're waiting for. So the whole Old Testament just paints this picture, right? Where, where everyone fails. Everyone fails. And we're all meant to go, woohoo, it's good news, right? It's good news because, and my second point this morning, one prevails. Can you say it with me? Everyone fails. Woohoo! We should go. Ugh. But one prevails. Woohoo! Yeah. Turn with me to the New Testament. Right? We had our second reading was Matthew chapter four. Um, come with me to the New Testament. The New Testament, when you flick it open, um, it, you know, it's it's. I mean, just to give away the answer, Jesus. Jesus is the one we're looking for, right? You know, so we can all pack up and say amen and go home and have some coffee or something like that. But when we come to the New Testament, you know, the Apostle Peter, um, you know, I mean, Apostle Peter, right, one of the great failures who was used by God mightily, restored to, you know, his standing with Jesus and then went on to do some great things. In Acts chapter 3, um, Peter actually explicitly says that Jesus is the prophet like Moses. Um, and so we kind of go, tick that box, we found him. But the, the New Testament is just scattered with this stuff. And, you know, if you just went Acts chapter 3, Jesus is the prophet like Moses, you'd go, yep, yeah, absolutely, game over, let's go and have some lunch. But you're too clever for that. That's too simple. I want us to think a bit more deeply about it. 
The New Testament says that Jesus fulfills everything. He, he succeeds in everything where everyone else has failed. I want to show you this morning how profound it is that Jesus, Jesus prevails where everyone else fails. That in Jesus, all that Israel was expected to be and all that God desired them to be is fulfilled in him. That the blessings of Israel only come true in the person and work of Jesus. That the conveying of the blessings of salvation to all nations only comes through this one man, Jesus Christ. It all comes down to Jesus. And, and I think one of the most clearest points we see is in Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. I'd love you to come with me now. The, the whole of, of Matthew's gospel tells us how Jesus fulfills the story and the mission of Israel so that the blessing of Israel can go to the nations. That's what Matthew's all about. In one sentence, Jesus fulfills the story and mission of Israel so that the blessing of Israel can go to the nations. Um, if I had more time, which I don't, I'd, I'd love to go through and show you how, you know, in Matthew chapter 1, Jesus, or God the Spirit, sets this up for us with the genealogy. I'd love to show you in chapter 2 and 3 how that's fleshed out more. But let's just drill down into Matthew chapter 4 where it's really explicit. Matthew tells us in chapter 4 that Jesus engages in this 40-day trial or temptation in the desert, in the wilderness, and everyone who knew the story of God's people would think immediately, ah, oh, 40 years, wandering in the wilderness. This is Jesus reenacting the life of God's people, Israel. Jesus goes into a, the desert for a 40-day temptation. Israel's 40-year wilderness wandering, it's an echo here. And we'll see this in a minute. When Jesus is challenged by the devil to kind of give it all up, each time he's challenged, Jesus quotes a word from which book of the Bible? Who knows? From the Old Testament. Can we narrow it down? From Deuteronomy, yeah. Every time that Jesus speaks the word of God in challenge to the, word, the false word and promises of the evil one, he quotes something from Deuteronomy. It's wonderful. Come with me. It's so good. I love this stuff. Um, yeah. Um, come with me, uh, chapter, chapter 4, verse 1. And we're going to look at these three temptations. The first temptation is this, the temptation not to trust God's provision. Who's sort of been tempted to not trust the provision of God before? And everyone who's not putting up their hand is just like got a stiff elbow or something, I don't know. Like, we're constantly challenged. This is a constant temptation for God's people, historically and today. Um, so you can see there in chapter 4, verses 1 to 4, the tempter comes to Jesus on this 40-day and 40-night sort of trial. You know, Jesus, no doubt, at the end of this, he's hungry. And, and the, the evil one says to Jesus, if you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Temptation to grumble at the provision of God and use some miraculous power to get more food. Jesus answers chapter 4, verse 4, on the screen. It is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Lines straight out of Deuteronomy chapter 8 verses 2 to 3, where Moses was rebuking Israel for grumbling at the provision of God in the wilderness. What's the point? Where Israel fails, Jesus prevails. 
second temptation of Jesus, that to put the Lord God to the test, verses five, six, and seven. So the devil takes Jesus to a high point, and he says, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down. For the devil says, it is written. You know that the devil even quotes passages from the Bible? He's, he's all over it, right? He says, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. But look what Jesus says, chapter 4, verse 7. Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord God to the test. These words come straight out of Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 16, where Moses reminds Israel that they did put the Lord God to the test when they were in the desert. They demanded more signs from God. You know, God, show us that you're really for us. Show us that you really love us. I mean, they'd just been rescued from oppression and slavery in Egypt through this wonderful sign, parting of the Red Sea, on their way to, you know, the promised land. Is that not a big enough sign? Oh, no, show us, give us some more evidence that you really are for us. Here's the point, though. Jesus is faithful where Israel is unfaithful. Jesus does what Deuteronomy tells us that God's people didn't. Third temptation, that recalls Israel's greatest sin in the desert. Who, who knows Israel's greatest sin in the desert? Can anyone tell me? This is like interactive preaching, interactive Bible study. What was Israel's, God's people's greatest sin? That was one, yeah. What about a greatest moment of kind of sin? If I can zoom it in. Worshipped idols, Any, anyone in particular? Golden calf, yeah. I, reckon, I mean, that's, personally speaking, as a scholar of the Bible, we should ask Don, actually, what the greatest sin was. But uh, I reckon this was the, the moment, right? The greatest moment where, where God's people just, you know, I mean, I call it adultery on the honeymoon. That's what I call this moment. You know, so God's people saved from Egypt where they were, you know, desperately hopeless and helpless. God by his grace and mercy, chose them, rescued them through the blood of the Lamb, passed over them, gave them a new life, new hope, new purpose. And then he takes the, his people up to Mount Sinai. Moses goes up the hill to get the law, and he's gone for a little while. And they've married, right? So God says, I will be your God, you will be my people. And the people said, yep, we're in for that, you know, marriage service kind of thing. And, and then while Moses is up there, you know, I don't know, chiseling away at the tablets, like... God's people are committing adultery on the honeymoon. They're turning their back immediately on the Lord. And, and this is, I think, the, the incident which is kind of alluded to here. So temptation number, th uh, number three, the temptation to worship a false god. We, when we, we do this all the time, right? Um, an idol is just something that... And an idol can be a really good thing that God gives us, but that we love and worship and honour more than we worship and honor God. It doesn't have to be sort of a, you know, a statue in a park or a totem pole or something like that. Or It's, it's where we, we love something more than we love God. And this is the temptation here. So Jesus is tempted in this 40-day trial to worship a false God. The devil takes him to a high place and says, look at all the kingdoms. You can have all the kingdoms of the worth of the earl. All you have to do, Jesus, I'll give you this if you bow down and worship me. And Jesus says to him, verse 10, here we go, it's coming. Hey, any away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. These words come straight out of Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 13, 
when Moses rebuked Israel for having worshipped other gods and pleads with them not to worship other gods. And he uses exactly the words that Jesus century later would quote successfully. My point, where Jesus prevailed, where Israel failed, Jesus prevails. Now, for Matthew's readers, right, if not for us, this is, uh, this is evocative stuff. This, this, this gets me excited. I love this sort of stuff. Because this means, right, when we, when we see all this happening in the life of Jesus in Matthew's gospel, we see Jesus reenacting the life of God's people, the story of God's people, and, and pulling it off perfectly. It's wonderful. Jesus endures a, a series of temptations and trials just like Israel did. Jesus obeys, though, exactly where Israel failed to obey God. If we had time, I'd love to show you through Matthew's gospel how this is the dominant theme of, God, of the gospel, how Jesus fulfills the story and mission of Israel so that the blessings of God can go to all the nations. I'd love to show you this, reenacting and fulfilling all that Israel and God's people were supposed to be. Quick example, right? If you turned over to Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount, what do you see there? You see a new law on a new mountain delivered by a new prophet. Again, Moses, law, prophet, mountain. Here's Jesus, new law, new mountain, new prophet, fulfilling the story and mission and love of Israel. I'd love to show you, right? I'd love to show you how the Jesus selection of the 12 apostles, 12 shabby men to be kind of his new people. I'd love to show you that, how that's an echo of the 12 tribes of Israel how through them God was going to bless the world, but here is the new 12, the new community of God's people to be sent out to just bless the world. I'd love to show you that. I'd love to show you how it's like a reset button on God's agenda and program. I'd love to show you how the crucifixion, if you flick towards the end of Matthew's gospel, is just deliberately described as Jesus bearing on himself the curse of the law of Moses. So that we, you and me, here in Adelaide, might be forgiven. I'd love to show you that. I'd love to dwell a bit longer on the final paragraph of Matthew's Gospel. Matthew chapter 28. And I love it. I was going to pick up that sign over there, right? Matthew 28, 19. Go and make disciples of one. I'd love to show you that. And how Jesus sends out the new Israel to be a blessing to all the world. Which every ancient Jew, reading Matthew would know that this is the promise that God made to Abraham being fulfilled, that through you, Abraham, one will be born through whom the world will be blessed. I'd love to show you that, but I've got to go to lunch at Jim's place, so we've got to kind of press on. <laughs> Jesus ends the story, right? Uh, he, he ends the story. He ends his life having reenacted Israel's story and mission and pulled it off perfectly. And he now sends out his people to be a blessing. The logic of all of this, I think it's coming up on the screen. Next one. Yeah, the logic of all this, right? Jesus fulfills the story and mission of Israel so that the blessing of Israel can now go to all the nations. That's what the book of Deuteronomy points us to. It's what the gospel of Jesus Christ is all about. It's wonderful stuff. It's wonderful stuff. I hope, I hope you know... You're not sitting there this morning going, wow, I didn't expect to come to church and have all this like theology thrown at me. Like I was coming here for a good cup of coffee, but well, the machine's not working today. Um, you know, the barista's on holidays, I don't know. And like I was just coming here for a bit of a lighthearted, getting the, you know, getting the year going. I hope it isn't all too theological. 
I hope it just sort of sets your heart on fire a bit and grows your confidence in who God is. That, that's good. Thanks, brother. That, that is this, this thing that I hope you've given your life to, not the Bible, but the God of the Bible. You know, it's not just something that, you know, you just go, oh, it's just pie in the sky when you die, but this is real. This is, this is raw, authentic. Because I hope what you've seen this morning is that all that I've said this morning, it, it's in the text, right? It's in the Bible. And if it's in the Word of God, then it's good for us. It's good for us to know it. And I think, just as I close, there are at least four ways that I think this is really helpful to us as we not just kick off 2019, but just live even just this day, should the Lord tarry and get on with our lives serving Him. Four things that I think um, enhances our lives, challenges our lives, builds our lives as God's people in this place to live the authentic Christian life. Here are the four. Um, First one is this, relax. Relax. Who's relaxed? I think it's hard not to be relaxed in January. I think it's the best month of the year. Um, that's, that's my vote. It's, you know, every, half the people, sorry if you're at work and it's hard, but I feel like half the world's on holidays right now and everyone's just kind of chilled out. Adele said to me that day, um, she said, oh, are you going back to work this week? Like, this was last week. And I said, oh, yeah, I'm back at work. She goes, oh, all right, you know, like I do, I work 0.8, so not full-time. Um, and uh, she said, oh, you look kind of relaxed. And I said, oh, well, here's my plan, right? This week, I'm working at 50% capacity. Next week, I'm working at 65% capacity. The week leading up to Australia Day, I'm working at about 70% capacity. And then come February, 110%. That's kind of what was my plan. January's beautiful. It's not hard to relax, but that's not my point. Where Israel failed, Jesus prevailed. And if you're in Jesus, you can relax because it's not about our performance that matters. We, we depend on the performance of Jesus the great one, the perfect saviour. That's what we can do. You know, and so the Bible paints this picture that we all fail, we all sin. And yet, it's not us working up, making ourselves look good such that God would receive us and accept us. It's throwing ourselves on the perfect life of Jesus. Where we fail, Jesus prevails. So brothers and sisters in Christ, when you sin, don't be surprised but run to Jesus. Run to Christ. He's your only hope. He's the only hope of Israel. He's our only hope today. The only thing going for God's people, the only thing going for me, is that He loves me, that He loves you. So relax. Don't let sin surprise you. Relax and trust Jesus. So relax. You can do that. Second point. Bit obs- obey. You go, well, Jackie, Simon, you've just told us to relax. Now you're telling us to obey? What's with that? Well, as we've seen today, Jesus is the new Moses and his law, his teaching is our new law. And his law is love. And his, and his law calls us to, to obey him and to love him and to do what he tells us to do. Matthew chapter 28, which is on the sign, and the, and the oh, that'd be beautiful. Um, Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Second blue sign, teaching them to what? Obey everything I have commanded you. Jesus is the new prophet. His law is love, and we are called to obey him. I once did a, uh, back in, when I was working in Sydney in a church, I did this thing where I printed off that verse, and I left out the word obey, and I said to God's people, I said, oh, have a read of that and see if there's anything missing, and they sort of looked at it and went, no, I can't see anything missing. And I said, it's because we don't like the obey bit. <laughs> 
But we're called to obey Jesus, and his way is so good. Um, so relax, obey, obey. Yeah, and the thing that I wanted to remind you as well this morning was, you know, when Israel was rescued from Egypt, they were rescued first by God's grace and then given the law. It wasn't like they got the law and said, if you can live up to this well enough, then you'll be my people. It was rescued first, now live for me. Same with Jesus. It wasn't like I sort of fronted up with all my you should save me credentials, Jesus. Look how well I've obeyed your law. Now you should die for me. He died for us while we were still sinners, calling us to live a holy life, obedient to him. So relax, obey. Third one, read. It's a bit weird. Like, what are you talking about there, Jacko? Read? Um, I want, us, I want an encouragement. I'm really encouraged by Lee presenting um, Don Carson. I've seen it in the notes as well that the book of the year is to kind of plough through for the love of God by Don Carson. Um, I want us to, uh, God's people are people who love the Word of God, who love the Bible. And so I want, us to be, I want to encourage you this morning to be men and women who, who read this, who read the Word of God. Um, we must study the Bible as one text. So this is not... Like, well, you know, I, I don't really like the Old Testament, so I'll just read the new bit. Um, I want us to be Bible people. Christians, we are Bible people, not just New Testament people. There's no such thing as a New Testament Christian. We are Bible Christians. Um, so read the Word. Find out how you can best read. One of the things I love about Don Carson's book is that there's a guy named Robert Murray McShane, um, an old fella, no longer with us, who devised a reading plan to help you get through the Bible in one year. It's quite a big job, like there's a lot of text to read. But um, if there's one thing you're going to sort of set out to do this year, can I encourage you to read the Bible um, you know, in whole, from front to back, Genesis through to Revelation. It's wonderful. It's where life is found. Um, it'll do you a whole lot of good. Um, read it all. Um, it's, it's, it's solid. Um, we dishonor God. We dishonor the author of the Word if we don't read the whole Bible. Um, I, did, I, met, I met someone the other day, he said, um, oh, Jacko, I, I only read the New Testament. And I said, but you're missing out on the first part of the conversation. You know when you go to, a, anyone been to a party recently, New Year's Eve party? You know, and you walk in and someone's having a conversation and you just sort of stroll up and you go, hey, how you going, guys? And they're having this great conversation. And then, you know, two minutes later, they kind of hit the punchline and you go, yeah, yeah, I get that. And they go, you, don't, you, you weren't here for the first bit. When I was at school... Um, I was in a maths class and I got moved. I won't tell you why I was moved from a maths class, but I got moved from one maths class to the other and I sat down in the class one day and uh, the teacher's talking and then um, all of a sudden the whole class just... I'd only been there for like five minutes. The whole class erupted in laughter and so I joined in. I was like, yeah, that's great. I punched, you know, elbowed the guy next to me and the teacher said, everyone quiet. And she pointed at me and said, Simon, why are you laughing? And I said because everyone else was. She goes, the only reason people are laughing is because of the joke that I told yesterday, and you weren't here. So why are you laughing? I hated maths after that moment. Couldn't stand it. Um, the Bible is two halves, Old Testament, New Testament. Let's be Bible people. Let's read the whole thing. Um, otherwise, you'll miss out. So relax. Everyone can relax. Obey. Read. And, third, and fourthly, convey. Convey. From Abraham to the apostles, God's people are a blessing to others around them. God blesses his people so they would be a blessing to those around them. Um, Christianity is inherently missionary. 
The, the biblical God is a missionary God, and therefore God's church is a missionary church. I was saying to someone at the daughters before, one of the things I, I praised God for last year, that there were at least maybe 10, maybe 12 new churches planted in Adelaide as the gospel goes out and starts to impact suburbs, lives, families, homes all around this city. Um, we're a missionary church. So as I wrap up, four things. Can I get you to do this? Can I encourage you to do this? Relax. Don't let sin surprise you. But when, it, when you do sin, throw yourself on Jesus. Obey. Jesus is our new prophet and his law is love. Let's obey him. Let's, let's listen to him and do what he says in the power of the Spirit. Read. Read this word and convey to all those around you. Uh, let's pray and ask God to help us to do that. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you that you are the God who loves us despite our failures. Uh, Father, we praise you that we're reminded this morning that the only thing going for God's people, your people, historically and today and in the future, is that you love them. Uh, Father, we pray this morning um, yeah, that we would know that deeply in our hearts. Father, that you do love us, that we know that you love us not just in our heads and in our hearts, but, Father, we pray that you'd lo- we know that deep in our bones. Father, in Jesus we are secure today and for eternity. Father, I pray for anyone here this morning uh, wrestling with sin and, and not sure if you've forgiven them. Father, I pray that they would know that in Jesus uh, there is forgiveness today and that they throw themselves onto you. Father, do help us to be a people that um, know your word deeply such that it changes us. And Father, rather than causing us to be men and women who perhaps are inward thinking, may it thrust us outward into the world. And so, Father, we pray this morning for Living Word Church. Father, for the people who call this church home. Father, may you use this church, this body of your people, mightily for the advancement of your kingdom. We pray for this year, we want to see, as, as your gospel is conveyed, we want to see people pouring through these doors, jumping into that pool to get baptised. Father, because they've found life and life to the full in Jesus. So, Father, please use us, uh, change us, make us more like Jesus. Uh, in his name we pray. Amen.